Today is the third Sunday of January, which is a day that is set aside each year as the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's marked on this day in particular because the decision of the court case Roe versus Wade uh, was given on January 22nd, 1973. That was a decision which in many ways made it possible for abortions to become accepted and accessible across our country. The estimates are that since 1973, there have been over 58 million abortions in the United States of America alone. That's not worldwide. That's a number that, I don't know about you, but my mind cannot fully understand, and also that my sinful flesh just kind of wants to ignore and not really think about. I can't grasp it, and I don't want to think about it. Which is why I think we have to pause and we have to stare into this reality and bring the truth of God's word to bear on the world that we live in. We have to do the hard work of that. And it is hard work. We need, though, to let the truth of Scripture inform these kinds of facts. So today we're going to take a moment to do a few things. We're going to take time to grieve over the evil of government-approved murder of children whose only crime is the fact that they haven't been born yet. We want to pause. We want to pray for forgiveness, for healing, for the spread of truth. And we'll spend some time doing that uh, after our our potluck. We'll seek to be spurred to meaningful conversation and actions. I don't pretend to have all the answers or to be able to answer everything in the course of one sermon. Um, but hopefully to spark good conversation amongst us and others. I also think it's good for us to unequivocally proclaim that this practice is wicked and it is wrong and it's evil. And I want us to look to God's word for answers and for help. There are a lot of questions that we need to ask related to the issue of abortion. Some of them are theological, some of them are are practical. And my hope today is just to address one question that I think seems to be at the core of of this issue, and not just the issue of, of abortion, but it's also at the core of issues like, like racism and like sexual assault, which have found their way to the forefront of our nation's conscience in recent days. So as we think about this question, realize that it is broad sweeping. Uh, the question I want in some way to answer is, who are we? Not just who am I as an individual, but what is the core truth about who we are as human beings? So when we look into the mirror or when we look at the face of our neighbor or when we see a child in the womb on an ultrasound or when we stand by the bedside of an elderly loved one, what are we looking at? What is at the heart of every human being regardless of their age their country of origin, their gender, their class, or any other distinction. Who are we? Now, I think that if I know you all well enough, you could begin answering this question from Scripture pretty well if you paused and and thought about it. And I am very thankful for that. And I recognize that I'm probably not going to give you a whole lot of new information in answering that question this afternoon. But my hope is that stating these truths on this day that we can make some connections regarding what we believe 
about human beings, about human nature, and the issue of abortion, as well as other issues within our day, that we can connect some of these things and understand how they influence one another. So I want us to walk away knowing this. This is a long idea, I apologize, and I'll say it a few different ways, but this is the, the thought that I want us to walk out with confidence in. It's this, that the Christian understanding of human nature is not simply true. It, is, it also makes the most sense of our world and leads to the greatest blessing for all people. I'll say that again. The Christian understanding of human nature is not just true. It is true. The, the, what Scripture reveals about who we are, about our human nature, is true. But it's not just true. It also makes the most sense of our world and is what leads to the greatest blessing for all people. I'll say that again in a little bit. But another way to say it would be the truth of Scripture about who we are is not only right, it is also infinitely wise and a source of joy. So we talk about the question, who are we, and having an understanding of, of humanity. And the, real, the reality is that we all have a belief about who we and others all are. Everybody has that, whether it's stated or not. We all believe something about, about human nature, uh, where we have come from, why we exist, where we're going, what our basic rights are, all of these things. Everyone has an opinion about that. Then all of us make the decisions that we make about how we're going to treat other human beings based in large part on how, what we understand others to be and on our desire for joy and satisfaction. The problem is that naturally, apart from Christ, we are so twisted by sin that we view others wrongly and we seek joy at the expense of other people. What I want us to see, though, is that if we would let God's word inform us about who we are, then we would find this. We would find that the Christian understanding of human nature is not just something that's true, but it, it makes the most sense of this world that we live in, and it leads to the greatest blessing for all people. The truth of Scripture is not just right. It's also infinitely wise, and it's a source of joy. So to the question, then, who are we? What is the Christian doctrine of humanity? Part of what scripture teaches about humanity is revealed in the name of this day. It's called Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, which assumes the truth that human life is sacred, that every person that we look at is valuable. So let's begin with this thought. We are more valuable than we can ever estimate. We are more valuable than we can ever estimate. We as human beings, all human beings are more valuable than we could ever estimate. If we ever wanted to change the name of this day, I would vote uh, for Image of God Sunday rather than Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because we are essentially pausing and remembering the image of God in all people at all stages of life, most specifically at the moment of conception. We are proclaiming today that all people are valuable and that it is God's image in us that makes all people more valuable than we could ever estimate. You might pause now and you might think about someone, an individual, a person that you value. Someone who is precious and priceless to you. You might think about who they are to you, how they have blessed you, how they have 
helped you, how they support you, how they encourage you, how they fill you with joy and happiness. And as you think about this person, you would say, you know what, there's no way to put a value on them. They are priceless. And it's a beautiful thing to have priceless people in our lives. But all those reasons that you thought of as to why that person is valuable and priceless, those are not the reasons why all people in this world are valuable. The value of a person is not rooted in whether or not they are valuable to you. The worth of a human being has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not they are wanted or likable by most people or even by one single person in this whole world. The person that you thought of, the person that that came to your mind is someone that you know personally, but all the billions of people that exist in this world that you have never met are equally invaluable because their value is not found in what they have done or accomplished. The worth and value of a person is not finally measured by their contribution to society or their accomplishments or anything else. Their value is measured by their creator. A child in the womb is valuable not because of what they have or what they could or what they could not offer to society. The value, their value, the value of a child is woven into them by the fact that they have been knit together by God himself and he has stamped his image on them. That's what makes them valuable. I imagine that if you found a childhood drawing of Monet or Michelangelo, something that they created and that their parents put on the refrigerator, or maybe you know, even more modern, you could think about Andy Warhol. If you found something like that, it would probably be of extreme value. Not because it was beautiful, but because it was made by a great artist. In a similar way, but not a complete parallel, our value is rooted in our connection to our creator. Not in in what we are, as it were, what we can offer to society. God's signature is on us, like a masterpiece, in the fact that he has created us in his image. We are all, every single one of us, every person in this world, we are all the diverse and ever-changing works of God's hand. We are formed by him in our mother's wombs. We have changed. We have existed as infants and as children. Some of us are still that, but many of us have grown and we have changed physically. We have changed emotionally. We have grown in knowledge. And there may be a day, as often happens, when we start to wane in knowledge and we we lose some of our ability as time marches on but at every stage of life every stage of life that is represented here and every stage of life that we will experience and have experienced in all of those we always bear our maker's fingerprints because he has made us in his image his signature never fades from our lives his his image is marred by sin but it always is on us it always remains and that's what makes us valuable. We, of course, find the the truth about the image of God in all people at the very beginning, right? The creation of Adam and Eve. In Genesis 1, after having created and filled the world, we read in verses 26 and 27, these familiar verses, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the midst of the creation of the world, God has this divine counsel amongst himself through which he creates men and women. And at that moment, you can, some, in some of your texts, you can tell it's marked out by this short poem that highlights the image of God in Adam and Eve. Now, the image of God encompasses so many parts of who we are. In these verses, it seems to at least include our, the dominion that we're supposed to have over all the earth. Uh, the care and the cultivation of God's world. The image of God is also expressed in the fact that he made male and female. So we are created out of relationship for relationship. It's the existence of both men and women in both that God's image is seen. But that's simply what's here in this context. There's so much more to what the image of God means. Um, Wayne Grudem summarizes that the image of God in us means that we are like God and we reflect God. So who we are in our intellectual ability, our creativity, our moral choices, our love for one another, this and so much more show us what God is like because we are are like God in that sense. The more we come to know God, the more we can see that we we are like him. And the more we're like him, then the more we reflect him in this world. We bear his image and we we image him. This then also speaks to the purpose of all human beings, right? To the purpose, or as the Westminster Catechism calls it, the chief end of all people. We are created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is our core. That is his image in us. Scripture also shows us that the image of God is not something that we gain over time, but it's inherited through our ancestry in Adam. When you think about what was passed on to you from Adam, most often you're going to think about sinful nature. But we should also recognize that our descent from Adam also marks us as those who, like him, are image bearers of God. The, the fall mars the image of God, but it does not eliminate it. So we read in Genesis a couple chapters over in chapter 5, Genesis 5, beginning in verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So these verses remind us that God created Adam in his likeness. And then we find that all of Adam's children were made in his image. Now, we might be tempted to think that that only means that those who came after Adam were in Adam's image. But Genesis 9-6, so get a little bit further now. Genesis 9-6 clears this up. Um, This is after the flood, before which God had said that the the wickedness of humanity was so bad that they they only thought about wicked things all the time. And here, though, there is this prohibition against murder, and it's rooted in the presence of God's image in all people. So Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, this is God speaking, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. 
So in these early chapters of Genesis, we, we are, it's established that not simply how sin came into the world, but also how God's image endures under the shadow of sin. It's continued to be passed on to all of Adam's children. We are reminded also in Genesis 9-6 that all sin is primarily against God because he is the one who made us and therefore we break his law and we rebel against him. Our sin is also primarily against God because when we hurt and harm others, we are hurting and harming his image bearers. Why is murder wrong? According to Genesis 9, it's because that person who is killed is created in God's image. That's why it's wrong. So abortion snuffs out the light of someone who was created to reflect the glory of God. It takes someone whose lineage, you could trace it all the way back to Adam and Eve, who passed on their image of God-bearing nature to us, takes that person and treats them like an inconvenience. I was listening to the radio this week, and I heard an interview with someone, and the child removed from the womb in that interview was called material. That was the word that was used. The unborn child is a, a clump of cells. But we affirm that the nearly... 60 million aborted children in the past were actually a beautiful reflection of their creator created in his image. That's what we believe. Scripture through the truth of the image of God in all people shows us that we and everyone that we come in contact with are more valuable than we could ever estimate. And we apply that reality to every single person from the moment of conception until they take their last breath on this earth. Every human being is sacred and valuable and worthy of protection. And protection not simply from murder. Mur killing someone is not the only way that we can devalue them as an image bearer. Let me bring some of the news in and say how we as Christians have the, the best response possible to these things. The atrocities that are coming to light in Hollywood and Washington stem from a view of others, specifically of women, not as image bearers, but as objects to be used for one's personal desires. And that is wrong. Racism devalues another person based on the color of their skin. Classism devalues another person based on the amount of money that they make. The issue of bullying devalues another person based on their perceived weakness. Right theology sees someone's value in an immaterial source, in a God-given image. So the differences between people has no bearing on whether or not we value someone. If, we, if the value that we place on someone is rooted in what they offer us or how they benefit the world at large, then we are on a, a path, we're on a slippery slope towards devaluing those that are seen as not offering a perceived benefit that we have or those who would take away our understanding of, of the good life. But if our value of others is rooted in the image of God in them, that endures from conception to death, and, and their value never increases, and their value never decreases. Nothing external affects the value of someone created in the image of God. So we protect the unborn. We value children. We value all all children. We respect all nations. 
all ethnicities as valuable and worthy of respect. We don't make distinctions of value based on the color of a person's skin or the country that they come from. We have equal respect for Colombians, for Filipinos, for Africans, for Haitians, for Russians, for Nepalese, for white Americans. We value Ilocanos and Cebuanos. And we value black northerners and white southerners and liberals on the west coast and conservatives in the Midwest. Because every single person in this world bears God's image and is priceless. So we respect and we value men and women equally. We can look at issues in our day in light of the image of God. We can agree with calls that women have for equal pay, for equal work. Because a person should not be valued based on their gender. We stand with people who are oppressed by people with power because every person is an equally valuable image bearer that should not have to live in fear. We are concerned about things like health care. We can disagree with how health care is provided, but we see the value of people being cared for to some degree regardless of where they were born or of their financial status. They deserve to be offered the opportunity to thrive and to be healthy because they are human beings created in God's image. We don't want people dying from starvation because they are human beings created in God's image. We respect stipulations made to help those who have physical and mental disabilities. You know, political correctness can get a little crazy, right? But I am thankful that there are some words that we simply don't use anymore. There's some value in that. There's some common grace in that. As we look for a building, we have to think about people with disabilities, there are rules for the buildings that we look at um, that respect people who are in wheelchairs and makes a building welcome for all people. That can be difficult. It can make finding a, a building for assembly hard. But at the same time, we can give thanks that in some small way, our culture has come to the place of saying, we value all people, regardless of whether they can walk or not. And we want them to be able to participate in life. We can recognize the difficulty of end-of-life care and the decisions that have to be made there. But we don't let a person's ability to contribute what we deem as valuable, that, that is not the source of their worth. Until they are taken into eternity, they bear God's image and they deserve protection and they deserve respect. So when we see the value of all people rooted in God's image in them, we not only seek to protect and to honor all life, but we become honest with ourselves about how we also devalue our fellow human beings every day. We can't stand on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and as Mark said, be pointing fingers, and just say that this is the only way that human beings are devalued, and that it's everyone else that is doing it, because there are things in our own hearts as well. Take the stories we hear about powerful celebrities and politicians. Those are not limited to those that are known by society at large. These things happen in our neighborhoods. They happen on your computer screen. They happen in our hearts, in our minds. They happen on our televisions. We subtly consider ourselves better than others, more worthy of love and respect than others. We wield the power that we have over other people in an oppressive way. We get upset when someone cuts us off because... My time is more valuable than theirs. 
We judge people in the grocery store. We mock people on reality television. We refuse to look some people in the eye when we walk past them. But if we value image bearers in the womb, we also have to value every image bearer that lives in this world now that has been born. They are all worthy of our respect and our love. As we think about sins against our fellow image bearers, we see that our society is desperately trying to say that all of this is wrong. It's so interesting to watch society respond to sin. Why is it wrong? What, what is the collective understanding of who we are that allows us to say that this action is wrong, but this action is okay? And, and culture in general doesn't have a leg to stand on. Why should we value all people? Here's the wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, that into this confusion, Christianity exists as the system of belief that can and should stand for the worth of all people. Why? Because every human being is an image bearer of God. Scripture tells us that we should respect all people. Into the confusion, we can step in and say, here is the baseline. Here's why we respect everyone. The child in the womb, the woman who is oppressed, the elderly person on their deathbed, and everyone in between, we respect them because they are image bearers of God. And that's a clear standard, and it's as simple almost as you can get. Of course, there's more to this picture, isn't there? The image of God is not the only thing that we inherited from Adam. Because of God's image in us, we are truly more valuable than we could ever estimate. But we also know this, that we are more sinful than we have ever imagined. We are more sinful than we have ever imagined. We may not be as sinful as we could possibly be because of God's common grace, but we are sinful through and through. And not just some of us, all of us. Just as the image of God goes to all people, so does our sin nature. You heard it in Romans 1, didn't you? How sin has led this world into a downward, downward spiral. It shows how we take the purpose for which we were created to glorify God and enjoy him, and we choose rather to glorify ourselves and destroy other people. Then in Romans 3, uh, Paul argues that there was uh, th- that as much division as there was in the early church between Jews and Gentiles, they had one thing in common, and that was their sinfulness. Romans 3, beginning in verse 9, says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
we are more sinful than we have ever imagined. Sin permeates every single one of us deeply. Let me pause and tie this back in, though, to our first thought and simply say that the sinfulness of humanity does not eliminate the image of God in humanity. It mars it, but that is still there, and that's why we can say that all people are valuable, even though they are sinners. But sinfulness does not remove our need to value all people. We can get mixed up here because we we hold to this doctrine of sin, which is right, but we can get mixed up. The baby in in the womb deserves protection and respect, but so do the doctors and the nurses that are performing the abortion. We don't respect what they are doing but they are image bearers of God in the midst of their sins. So do the parents who are making the choice to eliminate the child. We can't tell a young mother with an unplanned pregnancy to have her child and then turn around and devalue her because she is unmarried and struggling with visible sins because she is created in the image of God too and she is a sinner. The church gets in trouble when we let the reality of everyone's sin nature wrongly overshadow the abiding image of God. Everyone is a sinner and in need of redemption, but everyone also is this image bearer. Is homosexuality a sin? Romans 1 makes that very clear. Yes. But is someone who struggles with same-sex attraction any less of an image bearer of God? No. Should we grieve less over the tragedy in an Orlando nightclub than we do over shootings in a school in Connecticut? We should not, because everyone who is murdered is an image bearer of God. Unbelief is a sin. Murder is a sin. But is a Muslim terrorist of less worth than the children that are in our nursery? Is he of less value than you or me? Is he not loved and valued as a person created by God in his image? Sin exists in us all, but also the image of God abides in every person. Sin is not a reason to devalue others. It's just a, re- it's a reality of all of us. The beauty of God's truth is that we are not, o- we, not only are we able to understand why people are valuable, but what we understand why the world and each of us are so broken and so in need of redemption. We can simultaneously say that every person is deeply valuable and also that every person is deeply sinful and under God's wrath rightly. We can say both of those things. We can be angered and grieved by sin, but also not shocked because we know how deep sin's roots go in our own hearts and in the hearts of everyone else. And not only are we more sinful than we could ever imagine, but the world we live in is torn apart by the sin that is in us. We all bear the guilt of our own sin, and we need forgiveness from God. But we also know that this world is sinful, and we have all been sinned against. Every person in this world, every person in this room has been wounded by sin. Nature itself bears the the scars of rebellion. We in our world are broken. We bear the image of God, but we rebel against him and we have been hurt by others. We need redemption because of our sin, but you know what else we need because of sin? We need healing. There are sins that we need forgiveness for because we have sinned and we have failed, but there are sins against us that we need healing from. 
The same is true for all people. We hate the evil of abortion, but we also know that mothers and fathers and grandparents and doctors and nurses involved are people who need forgiveness and who need to know the restoration and the soul healing that Jesus can bring. Take something like this Me Too movement. It's, it's gone all over the map, and there's all these different responses from it. I don't pretend to have my finger on the pulse of it all. But I would say this. Women coming forward to say how they have been devalued and wounded should help us to see not only that there are sinful people in this world, but that people have been horribly sinned against in this world. They have been scarred deeply by the evils of others, by our twisted understanding of humanity. Sin has made a complete mess of God's world. It's in us, and it also is against us. We are more valuable than we could ever estimate, but we are more sinful than we have ever imagined in the midst of a world that is more sinful than we could ever imagined. imagine. The dichotomy reminded me of a Rich Mullins lyric where he says, we are frail We are fearfully and wonderfully made, forged in the fires of human passion, choking on the fumes of selfish rage. And with these, our hells and our heavens, so few inches apart, we must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. I think about that last line a lot. We're not as strong as we think we are. And into our value and our sinfulness and the sinfulness of this world and the brokenness, the gospel says that not only are we more valuable than we could ever estimate and more sinful than we could ever imagine, but we are more loved than we could ever dream. We've said this before. These words aren't original to me. I've heard them enough times. I don't know who said it first, but we are more loved than we ever dream. From the moment that sin entered the world, God was determined to redeem his children, to restore us, and recreate his good world. He would do it for his glory. He would do it to fully restore his shining image in us and to let his glory fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And he would do it in spite of our sinfulness. Salvation does not come to us because we are worthy of it. As we've seen, even our value, this valuable, this value that makes us priceless, is bound up in our creator. He is the one that makes us valuable. No, salvation comes to us because God is worthy of worship and he is infinitely good. It comes because Jesus became man and was never marred by sin. He perfectly imaged God for us in this world. And then we read in Romans 5 that God saved us not because we are good, but while we were still sinners. Romans 5 Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Our great hope is that Jesus, the exact representation of God, has come to make us righteous 
and to forgive us. He has come to redeem us and to make us his children. He has come to forgive us for our sins and to heal us of the wounds that sin has caused in us. And his coming also points to the day when he will return and make the world new, ridding it of all sin. Our hope is not only that we can be made new, but that all things will be made new. And Jesus makes this newness possible through his love. And he calls us to faith. The Christian understanding of human nature is not just true. It makes the most sense of the world, and it's part of what leads to the greatest blessing for all people. The truth of Scripture is not just right. It is also infinitely wise, and it's a source of joy. It may be mocked by the world, but this is true wisdom if God has given us eyes to see it. It says that we are more valuable than we could ever estimate, while also being more sinful than we could ever imagine and more loved than we could ever dream. It says that every person we meet is an image bearer of God, a sinner in need of forgiveness, a person wounded by sin in need of healing, and an eternal soul created by God. Let me say that again. Every person we meet is, one, an image bearer of God. Two, they are a sinner in need of forgiveness. Three, they are a person who is wounded by sin and in need of healing. And four, they are an eternal soul loved by God. If we believe that about every person that we come in contact with, then we can fiercely protect all life. And we can also boldly call all people to repentance. We can also gently and graciously respond to the evil in this world always pointing to Jesus as the ultimate solution. We are able to deal with the evil in this world better than anyone else. Christian, you can deal with the evil in this world and understand who people are better than anyone else because we have a theology that can hold all of this stuff in tension. People know there is something wrong. But apart from the revelation of God's word, they don't know why it's wrong and they don't know how to hold all these things in tension. And I'm not saying it's easy because I don't know how to hold all these things in tension. But I believe them all because I believe that's what God's word tells us. The question we're trying to answer, we've sought to answer is, who are we? There's obviously more to be said. And more to discuss. But I think that the answer that we see in Scripture gives us this powerful framework, these powerful glasses, as it were, to approach life through. And if we would let this biblical understanding of our humanity shape how we look at other people, then we will be full of grace and truth. And if we're full of grace and truth, then we will look like Jesus. And Jesus perfectly imaged God in this world. And that's what we want to do as his children, to show forth the Father. And we have to find the balance of grace and truth, of looking at someone and saying, image bearer of God, of looking at them and saying, terrible sinner in need of repentance, of looking at them and saying, someone who has been wounded deeply by the sin of others, 
and also saying someone who can be redeemed and saved by God. Finally, as we think about others, let me also just say to each of us that you are of greater value than you could ever estimate. Whatever it is about you that causes you to say that you are unworthy or unlovable or to be rejected, God says to you, you are a priceless image of God bearing soul. I recognize the reality of sin. I don't want to diminish that. But I also know that that God has filled all of us with worth. And if you have come in and you feel worthless, then I want to say you are valuable as an image bearer of God. You are a sinner in need of redemption. You are someone who has been harmed by sinful people. But you are also more loved than you could ever dream. And there is no sin that God in Christ cannot cleanse you from and make you his child for all eternity. If we get that about ourselves, if we get that we are in God's image and we are deeply sinful, but we can be saved and redeemed and healed by God in Christ, then we will be unstoppable witnesses of God's glory in a crooked and broken world where we can shine as lights, as people who know the truth, who know the truth about who we are because it's been revealed to us in God's word, but also know the deep truth of God's love seen in the person of Jesus, a love that went all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross, to redeem us and to redeem this whole world for his glory. Let's take a moment of silence and then I will pray and we will sing. What wondrous love is this that calls, caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. God, as we think about who we are, we're not filled with pride. We're filled with love for you. Any value that we have is, is because of you. You have made us in your image and any 
value that we have is because we reflect who you are. And we know our sin is deep. And we know that we have been broken in many ways. But we also see the great love that you have for us in Christ and that you have redeemed us. Lord, there is a world that's trying to find value in themselves and take value away from others. I pray that you would help us to to shine the light of this news about who we are to the world, Lord, that we would walk in confidence that even if people reject what we say as, as foolishness, that we know that it is the truth of your word and that it is it is the only answer to everything that people are wrestling with. Lord, thank you for revealing your truth to us. I confess that I am still wrestling with all these things and the tensions that are there, but Lord, there's truth in your word that helps us to look at the world and to see it rightly. So help us to do that. Help us to see our own prejudices. Help us to see the old, our own ways of devaluing others that we would turn from them because they, they dishonor you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have good conversations about these things. Help us to think well. And then, Lord, help us to pray well this afternoon as we pray about specifically this issue of abortion. We pray against it, God. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.